All right, so today we're coming to the fourth chapter of Nehemiah. And again, I just want to give you a quick recap of where we've been. Uh, chapter one, we saw Nehemiah. Uh, he had the conviction to think, to feel, and to act on those convictions. And he began with prayer. And the challenge for that uh, kind of chapter was that we too would be similarly convicted uh, for the things of God, right? The things that break God's heart should break ours in the way that we think, the things we think about, the things we feel, and then we should act on those. In chapter two, we saw Nehemiah take those convictions a step further, um, despite the obstacles, right? Despite the conviction killers that faced him. And they basically threatened to stop the dream from ever becoming a reality. And so he faced delay. He faced the dread of, you know, the risk and the sacrifice that it would cost. And the discouragement uh, was there right in his face, right from the start, even before he began. Um, but those conviction killers didn't kill him. And he pushed forward in courageous faith. And the challenge for us was similarly to not let our convic uh, convictions and dreams for God just die, right? If they're really from God, and we kind of know that, especially if it's in the word, then we should push forward regardless of, you know, what kind of killers come our way. And last week um, in chapter three, we saw God's people at work. Uh, for a rare moment uh, in the Bible, we saw the people of God uh, unified and committed, right? Despite their diversity, they were unified. And despite the cost uh, that it required to build the wall, they were committed. And it's like a beautiful kind of picture of what they were doing. Um, and it's, it was a challenge to us, similarly, uh, to strive for greater diversity and to push for, you know, unity, uh, especially now as we're on the brink of launching, uh, we should be really unified now, um, but also be committed uh, despite the cost that uh, church planting, for example, might uh, cost us. Uh, because everything we're doing, hopefully, we are doing for God. And so let's work as for the Lord. And so today we come to uh, the fourth uh, sermon, um, but over the next few chapters, so chapter four, five, and six, and kind of really um, ongoing, uh, God's people are going to continue to face opposition. Um, and this, in chapter four, particularly, it threatens to make them give up, right? The work they've started um, to just give it up and go back home, right? And in chapter four, we see the enemy target the people. And in chapter six, we see the enemy target, the leader, Nehemiah. And I was going to talk about two today, chapter four and six, uh, but chapter four ended up being kind of too, too much. And so we're just going to stick on chapter four and we'll see. We might end up skipping chapter five or six, one of them along the way. Um, but there are three kind of primary ways that the enemy attacks uh, God's people uh, in chapter four. And it is uh, verbal, uh, it is physical, and then there's like an internal battle that arises. And so that's going to be my four points today, uh, three points, sorry, uh, got to count. Um, number one, uh, the verbal battle. All right, first, it's a verbal battle. All right, if you read with me in verse one, it says, uh, now when Asambalat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. Uh, now you might remember this guy, Sambalat. Uh, we first met him with Tobiah back in chapter two. Right? As soon as Nehemiah got permission by the Persian king to start this project, they pop up and they're kind of discouraging him. And they come back in chapter two. Uh, they're going to kind of be a continual force of opposition to him. Um, but now they're back worse than ever. Right? And so we hear that Sambalat is angry. Right? It's greatly enraged. And he's angry because if Jerusalem is able to rebuild, uh, Jerusalem is going to end up being a challenge to his authority. Right? And not only then a challenge because it's another power in the region, uh, but then that would then diminish his economic you know, kind of uh, benefit uh, being a power in that place. Right? And so he's, he's got a lot to lose if Jerusalem uh, steps up and grows bigger. 
And so what he does is he, he throws these verbal words, these verbal attack at God's people in order to demoralize them and hopefully stir up doubt. Right? And so in verse 2, we read, Sambalan in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, right, he's going to slander them. Right? And he's saying this in front of his friends. He's saying it in front of an army. And so he's trying to get people to take his side that will go, yeah, you know, we agree with you. And basically he's trying to create like this maybe gossip of, of this, um, what he's going to uh, say. He wants to kind of to carry around and people to talk about it. And so he's going to throw six things uh, at, at God's people. And I'm going to paraphrase them as we go along. Uh, but maybe someone said this to you before. Uh, maybe you've thought this to yourself, uh, some of these words. Uh, these are these kind of negative lying words uh, that attack us even in our Christian life. And so the first thing um, that he says is, what are these feeble Jews doing? Right? Basically, you're too weak. Right? What are you doing? You're too weak. Then he says, will they restore it for themselves? He's saying you're incapable of doing this task. Then he says, will they sacrifice? Right? This is a kind of funny one. And we think that he, he's saying your prayers and your God can't help you. Right? You can't pray the wall up. You can't sacrifice the wall up. Right? Number four, will they finish up in a day? Right? You'll never get this done. And number five, will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? Right? And he's saying, you don't have the right resources. Right? All of these rocks, you know, they're useless to build a wall. And then Tobiah, kind of like his sidekick on the side, he, he jumps in at number six and he says, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Right? And he's basically saying, your efforts at the end of the day will be useless and pointless. Right? And so we have like these six kind of, kind of verbal slander you know, that he's throwing at these people. Right? You're too weak. You're incapable. God can't help you. You'll never get this done. You don't have the resources. And at the end of the day, the wall is going to fall down when a fox, fox jumps on it. Right? He's kind of throwing these words at them. And when you think about it, uh, the verbal battle is often where it begins. Right? It starts with words. When you see school kids are having a fist fight in the schoolyard, right, it always began with words. Right? Strained relationships, hurt hearts, and many of our lives' fights kind of began with words. And I think it begins with words because for a few reasons, words are free, right? so it costs us nothing to throw out there. Words are easy. Right? Sambalat, he's, he's saying these things. It's easy for him to say when he's surrounded by his friends, when the people of Jerusalem are far away. Right? And for us, it's like in social media, it's easy to throw out words or when you're anonymous on a, an internet forum or a thoughtless message, it's easy. Right? So it's free, it's easy. And words, they don't even have to be true to be damaging. Right? It could be sarcasm, it could be gossip, right? even these kinds of things can be damaging. Right? But also, on top of all of this, um, words are powerful. Right? We, f we see that um, James says in James chapter 3 that the tongue is a fire. And we've all experienced the power of words. Right? Words can either be like fire that is warm and comforting, or you know, words can be like fire that they're painful and that they burn. And so the people respond to uh, this verbal battle, and we see it in verse 4 to 6. Right? In verse 4, we see uh, they respond in two ways, uh, in his faith and action. And we're going to kind of see them responding this way all the time, right? I realize my camera's flipped and you're looking at my notes, but I hope that's not too distracting. Um, faith and then action, right? Faith is um, verse four. This is how they respond. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Right? The first response is, and it's a kind of typical of Nehemiah through the book. The first response is that he prays, 
And this prayer is kind of interesting because we're going to kind of read through it. Um, he, he's basically saying, uh, punish them. Right? It's an interesting prayer. Turn back their taunt on their own heads. Give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Right? So basically, we were in exile. Put them back. Put them in exile. Do not cover their guilt. Let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. Right? It's kind of like a kind of scary. It seems like an a, a angry kind of prayer. And like, can we pray those kinds of prayers? You know, you, you guys can talk about it in your growth groups. Um, but, but for us in Christ, the prayers we pray are shaped right, by the gospel. And so these kinds of prayers, uh, I'd probably say, aren't exactly the kind of prayers we pray now in Christ. Uh, but there are some key points that we can and we should take away from it. And so I just want to point out a few things. That first is that Nehemiah speaks to God. Right, the, the enemy comes to him, uh, throwing verbal attacks at him. But Nehemiah's response is not to open his mouth and talk back to them. But the first response is to talk to God. Right? He opens his mouth in prayer to God. And that reminds me of Philippians chapter 4, where it says, you know, present all your requests to God. Right? In verse 5, it said, let your reasonableness be known to others but your requests, verse 6, to God. And I've talked about this. We often get it the wrong way, and we, we make our requests known to people, and we're reasonable to God, but that's the wrong way. Reasonable to people, requests to God. And so when stuff like this happens, when people throw you know, um, verbal attack at you, when the enemy comes at you and speaks lies to you, the first place you go to is you should speak to God, right? Make your requests known to God. And that's what they do here. The second thing I want to point out, is that Nehemiah entrusts the situation to God. He entrusts the justice to God. Right? Nehemiah doesn't try to defend himself with a verbal skirmish. He doesn't try to pick up a weapon at the moment and try to you know, attack, attack them and seek justice by his own hands. He entrusts the justice to God. He says, God, would you do this? Right? I, I commit it to you. Um, and you know, even though he's kind of saying this, um, um, he's asking God to punish them, um, he's surrendering that to God. Right? He's not trying to punish them himself. And it kind of reminds me of Romans 12, where Paul says, you know, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And so whenever people are throwing verbal attacks to you, often we want to pay them back, but turn to God and surrender to him and know that he is just and that he will do what is right in his eyes and then surrender it to him. Right? I think that's a part of the process in prayer that we should practice. And then the third thing we see is that Nehemiah, he, he burns for God. Right? Nehemiah's prayer isn't the petty words of someone who's been personally hurt. And so he's saying, oh, would you plunder them because they hurt my feelings? Uh, because at the end of that prayer, he says, they have provoked you to anger right? in the presence of the builders. Right? This is what's driving Nehemiah's prayer, his prayer of justice and God, would you punish them? It's because they've offended you, God. Right? Not because they've offended me, they've offended you. Right? When they say you can't build the wall, when they say you, know, you can't sacrifice the wall up, what they're saying is, God, you're too weak. Right? And Nehemiah cares about God and his reputation, and that's what's driving his prayer. Right? And so I think all of these things are things that we can take away from this prayer. Right? Speak to God, entrust it to God, and then burn for God. Right? That's how we should respond in verbal battle. Not only do they respond with faith, Again, I said they respond with action. And they're going to do this all throughout this chapter. The action is verse 6. So we built the wall. Right, that's it. It's so matter of fact. It's, it's to the point. They pray, then they get back to work. Uh, it's, it's kind of um, a testimony to their trust. 
right? We're just going to keep doing uh, what we were doing. And the wall was joined together, it says, to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. And so they just focused at the task at hand and pushed forward. And so this is the first kind of assault or battle ground. It's a verbal battle, uh, but they don't engage with it. They surrender it to God. They keep pushing forward to build the wall because that's what God called them to do. And this uh, kind of scenario is not unlike uh, what we might go through in our lives as Christians. Uh, We are under kind of verbal assault in the world. Uh, We are being attacked by the lies of of the enemy. And we are told uh, similar things that they might have heard, right? You are too weak. You are incapable. Uh, Your prayers and your God can't help you. Uh, You won't accomplish much. That the church's efforts to build the kingdom will be useless in the end. And if we are ever going to accept that, then we will, we're going to end up quitting uh, serving God. We're going to quit uh, building God's kingdom. Uh, but we must respond like they did with faith in action, right? Faith that turns to God, entrust the situation to Him, right? and keep pushing forward in action. Right? That's the call for us as well. The second thing that we see uh, is a physical battle, right? Or a physical threat of a battle. Uh, now that the verbal kind of attack has failed and the Jews have continued and built the wall to halfway, uh, the enemy increases uh, their stance and their attack. Verse 7, when Sambalat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. There's two things that increase here. The first thing that increases is the enemy. Before we had Sambalat, who's with the Sumerians, and they're from the north. And we had Tobiah, who's with the Arabs, they're from the east. They're now joined by the Ammonites, who are from the south, and the Ashadites, who are from the west. Right? So now you've got guys from the north, the east, the south, the west. And verse 8, they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And so not only have the enemies increased, uh, but the, the battle Right, the, the severity of the attack has increased from a verbal attack to a physical attack. And the enemy is now plotting a four-pronged attack. Right? Jerusalem is completely surround, surrounded on all sides. And this is kind of a risky and desperate thing because the Persian king has sanctioned this building project. Right? But desperate times calls for desperate measures. And so now they're going to you know, try to cause confusion by attacking them. Now, the idea of Christians being you know, physically um, you know, in a battle and attacked uh, seems foreign to us, uh, but the truth is it's quite common in the Bible. Uh, it's quite common for Christians throughout history. Uh, many of our brothers and sisters around the world today, uh, this is their daily reality. Well, we read in Hebrews 11 that many of the people in the Bible, um, in, in the Old Testament or prior to Christ, uh, lived these kinds of lives. Some were tortured are refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword. Right? This is kind of the history of our faith. And we remember our Lord Jesus himself verbally, physically attacked while on earth, right? especially when he got to the cross. And so even though these examples and passages seem like the most unrelatable to us, The fact is they are some of the most relatable texts to some of our brothers and sisters in Christ. They would read something like this and say, well, this is exactly what I'm going through. And they would find a lot of comfort in that. And so it would benefit us 
um, oh, sorry, it would benefit them first uh, if we remember them, right? Remember our brothers and sisters, you know, in, in persecuted churches around the world, in underground churches who have to hide their faith. Um, and we would expand our thoughts to them, our prayers to them, uh, perhaps even weep for them uh, to thank God that he's persevering their faith. Right? We should remember uh, our brothers and sisters when we read texts like this. Uh, it would not only benefit them, but it would benefit us as we remember them, right? That we would uh, generate a gratitude, right? At the measure of comfort that we get to enjoy in Australia, uh, but that also it would embolden courage, right? When we think about how little is that risk for us to boast about our faith, right? How little there is for us to risk, right? To, to share the gospel to someone. Right, that should make us kind of bolder because we have so little to lose. Right? We might lose face at worst, uh, but the brothers and sisters around the world, they're losing their lives. Right? Should we not be bold for our faith? So the people's response in verse 9 is the same. It's faith and then it's action. Uh, they respond in faith. In, at the start, we prayed to our God. Again, it's, it's, they turn to God. Uh, when, when someone's coming towards you, going to attack you, right, the first response, they pray. And then there's the action. And so we set a guard as a protection against them uh, day and night. And so as before, they entrust the situation to God in faith. They push forward because they believe this is what God wants them to do. Um, the question I think of uh, when I read this passage is, what is the price you are unwilling to pay as a follower of God? You know, what, what's the price you are unwilling to pay? We all have a line where when we get to it, we say, you know, I, I'm unwilling to go that far for you, God. But everything else beyond this line and um, before it, I, I can pay that. I can sacrifice that. I can risk that. But, but beyond this line, uh, I don't know if it's worth uh, giving for you. And I think many of us, like understandably, uh, I don't know if you've ever thought about it, the line of risking or giving up your life for God, that would be a hard line to cross. Right, is living out God's purposes really worth dying for? Right, would you say yes to that? In our Lord Jesus, he said yes. The Son of God willingly submitted to the Father's will. He went to the cross. He died to fulfill God's purposes and to further God's kingdom. Right, it's not only a yes to him, he would say it's a yes to us. He says in Luke 9, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. And take up his cross daily, right? Just as our Lord Jesus went to the cross and he died for the sake of, you know, the kingdom and God's purposes. He's inviting us now as disciples to take up our cross. He's basically saying, die, die daily and follow me, right? So that you might be a living sacrifice, Romans 12. And so even though when we read this text, it feels like it's a very unrelatable passage. This, the truth is it's very relatable to us. Because it's the same question that's thrown at us here in Sydney, where we're comfortable. It's the same question that's thrown at the Christian in the underground persecuted church in China. The question is, will you die to yourself so that you can live for God? Right? Would you die to your comfort? Will you die to your wishes? Would you die to your life so that you can live for God and live out his purposes? Right? That's really the question here. Would you keep pushing forward no matter what the cost is? And that's a question all of us should wrestle with. There's the verbal battle, the, the physical battle, and then last, we have uh, the internal battle. I'm going to switch. I want to try to, oh, I can't. 
Okay, don't worry. Okay, the internal battle. And so with all the, the verbal, um, oh, sorry, the internal battle, with all the verbal battle and the threat of the physical battle still looming, uh, God's people, for the first time, they kind of waver. Um, and that leads to then an internal battle right, within themselves. Um, I think I'm skipping too far. No. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Okay, yeah. There's an internal battle that kind of is within themselves, and this is really uh, the most important battle. Right? And it shows up in two ways. The first one is doubt. Uh, this is a result of the, the verbal attack that they faced before. Right, verse 10, it says, in Judah, it was said. So the people of God are, are saying, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. Right? The strength is failing. There's too much rubble. Like, we can't do it by ourselves. And it's so interesting what they're saying. It, it kind of mirrors uh, the slanderous, doubt-inducing words of Sambalat right from the start. Right? The strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. What did he say? You're feeble Jews, you're weak. Right? There's too much rubble. What did he say? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish? Right? We don't have the resources. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. Right? What, what did he say? Will they restore it for themselves? Right? It's kind of mirroring uh, what he said before. Right? We're too weak. We're incapable. We don't have the resources. It's like what he said was spread around and people are saying this and that and they're whispering it into their ears and now it's got to them and now the internal battle is going on and doubt has filled their minds. Right? The first time they heard it, they were fine. But as they wrestle with it, they're about to give up right? on themselves right? as they talk to themselves in their minds. Right? It doesn't matter who you are, you can't constantly hear negativity and be unaffected by it. Right? Constantly complaining friend with a chip on their shoulder or a bitter heart will affect your attitude. A friendship circle that always gossips and slanders others will color your view on other people. Or constantly letting yourself listen to the lies of the enemy rather than God's truth, that you're weak, that you're incapable, that you'll never get this done, that God can't help you, prayer won't work, you don't have the resources, everything you do will be useless in the end. But if we'll let those things roll in our minds, we will inevitably uh, lead to doubt and darkness. But if we spend our time in those places. And so what we need to do, we need to anchor ourselves on the truth of who God is and what he's promised to do in the word. All right, but that's the internal uh, battle that they first confront, doubt. And the second one is distraction. This second one is the result of the physical battle. Right? Doubt was a result of the verbal battle. This distraction is a result of the physical one. Verse 11, now enemies said they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us 10 times, you must return to us. And so over and over, friends and family from you know, surrounding towns are coming to them, begging them, stop, stop the work, give up on the wall, come back home, right? Your life is in danger, or we need you, or whatever it is, come back home, quit the work that you're doing. And so it's, in, it's interesting that, the, again, that it parallels what happened before, right? It says the Jews came from all directions, kind of like the enemy who was surrounding Jerusalem, north, east, south, west. 
right? But unlike the enemy who never even came to the walls and never, you know, actually attacked them, these people come 10 times, right? Over and over again. Some commentators say that's just basically saying nonstop, they're coming, come home, come home. And you could say that this distraction is more persistent and damaging and fear-inducing than the original threat of the physical battle itself. Right? When the enemy said, we're going to attack, they, they, it seemed fine, but it was, it was that constant, you need to come home, they, they're going to attack you, right? we, need, we, need, we need you to protect us. Right? That is more fear-inducing than the battle itself. And so even though these people and their requests uh, came from genuine care, the end result is that um, it's a distraction from what God wants, a God-sanctioned, God-glorifying task. And sometimes even the best intended advice from a loving place, from loving people, can be misguided and can be a distraction from what God really wants us to do. Right? And so we need to discern the will of God. We need to go to the Word we need to make sure that these distractions, right, internally, that going through our mind, then pull us away from what God wants us to do. Right? The people respond to this internal battle again with faith and action. Right? And it's kind of extended through verse 13 to 23, and I won't go through it all. The, the action part is very kind of well thought out. Nehemiah is going to get some people to hold a sword in one hand and the shovel in the other, and some people are going to be on watch, and they're going to do rotations. And he kind of unpacks that, uh, but it's kind of summarized all in verse 14. Nehemiah says, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome. Right? Here's the faith. Don't be afraid. For faith in God, He is great, right? He is awesome, and He's the action. Fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Right? Don't just put faith in God and then you know let's sit back and do nothing. Neither is it let's forget God because we need to defend ourselves. Right? It's a bit of both. Right? We need always in the Christian life faith and action. And Nehemiah is saying, don't be distracted. Right? Don't be distracted by the loved ones. Don't be distracted by the fear. Fix your gaze on God. Remember Him. Don't doubt. Right? Don't be filled with the thought of your weaknesses. Right? Don't quit. Remember that God is great and awesome. He will complete the work. Don't give up. Keep fighting for the Lord. You know, the internal battle is really, it's kind of like the end game. Right? It's, it's, the, it's the ultimate place the enemy wants to see us fail. Because it's really the only kind of battle uh, that can bring us down. Right, within ourselves. No amount of verbal attack or slander about your weakness or inability or uselessness can do you any damage unless we kind of give up on our faith in God, right? unless we begin to doubt God's word. It doesn't matter what the world says to us. It doesn't matter what the enemy says as long as we are trusting in what God says. And so the enemy can tell us you are wretched, but if I remember God says I'm forgiven, then I'll be okay. And if the world says I'm weak, but I remember God is strong in my weakness, then I will be okay. Right? If people say I'm useless, but I remember God says I'm purposed, then I will be okay. But it's when internally I give up. Right? Internally I let those doubts grow and I replace faith with doubt or fear. That is when we lose. Right? Not the external, but when it gets to the internal. Right? So we lose the battle when it becomes an internal battle. And so the enemy would love us to lose that. When we believe the slander, when we believe the lies, when we doubt what God says. Ephesians 6, it says we should hold up the shield of faith 
right, in all circumstances, with which we can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. Uh, so the enemy throws lies, he throws slanders, but as long as we hold up our faith, we will be okay. But when we let it down, and we let the doubt grow, that is when we lose. It's the same for the physical battle as well. For the persecuted church around the world, uh, the enemy can't hurt them. Uh, even death can't hurt them. Uh, God's purposes I and mean, God's sovereignty uh, encompasses physical hurt and death. And even if they were to uh, lose their life on earth, right, as Paul says, uh, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Right? And so the truth is, like, no matter what the world throws at us, oh, don't worry about that. Um, yeah, no matter what the world throws at us, uh, we will be okay as long as our faith is in God. But we lose the battle again when those threats of physical attack or the threats of what we might lose um, become an internal battle and we get distracted. Or we get pushed away from God's will, from being obedient to God. Uh, when we lose that battle, right, that's when the enemy is won. How many potential full-time missionaries have given up on God's purposes because they were afraid of the risk of you know, dying overseas? And Maybe uh, friends and family um, from a good place told them not to go because it seems unwise. And again, I'm not saying everyone should, you know, throw caution to the wind and go to the most dangerous place. But, you know, if, if it is really God's purpose, then he will protect. If it's God's purpose, then he will be sovereign, even through, you know, life and even through death. But, but as long as, you know, we keep the faith, things will be okay. It's when we let the distraction pull us away from God. That's when we lose, and that's when the enemy wins. It is the internal battle that matters the most. Uh, this is where we can lose. Uh, for Christians who have faith in God, the enemy cannot touch us unless our faith in God right, is weakened, unless it's weakened by doubt or distraction, and we give up. And so I want to encourage us all, uh, whatever battle you're facing right, in the world, from people, uh, from the enemy, uh, Satan, uh, whatever is being thrown at you, uh, to respond with faith and action. Right? Turn to God in faith and then keep pushing forward in whatever God has purposed for you. Don't give up on what God wills just because of what people say, the verbal battle, or what people threaten to do, the physical battle. Don't give in to doubt or distraction. Turn to God. Right? Turn to God like they did over and over again here. Pray to Him first. Turn to Him. He's just He's jealous, he's able, he's powerful. Right? Remember the Lord, he is great and awesome. And he will fight for us as we fight for his glory. The good news is at the end of the day, even when we lose the battle, right? even when we lose our fight, uh, even when we give in to fear and doubt and distraction, that we have Jesus Christ. Right? Jesus, in the face of much verbal attack and physical assault, persisted down the path of obedience that led to the cross. He overcame that internal battle of doubt and distraction in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he died for our sins. He died and lived so that when we fail, right, we'll be forgiven and still loved. Right? He did what we could not do. Right? He did all these things. And so we're trying to imitate him. We're trying to be strong, but even when we're not, right, thank God for his son. I thank God that he loves us still. And so I just want to encourage us, keep pushing forward, especially uh, at the brink of uh, launching 
Um, I don't know what's going on in your life. I want you to be strong uh, with faith in action. So here are the two questions I want to encourage us to talk about. Uh, in what area of your life do you need to die to yourself so that you can be a better living sacrifice? And the second, does internal doubt or distraction pull you away from, a be from better living out God's purposes?